Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Lines Live by Donkeys podcast. I am Joe, uh, he with the fucked up voice, and with me today I is think it's Liam. Very sexy. Uh, you, know, you you got on the mic, and I was just like, oh, who's this mystery boy? Who's you know what was funny? Fellow? Do you want to tell them how you got the injury, Joe? Yeah, I will. Uh, so I was recording this morning with uh, Hell of a Way to Die, uh, and I, I ruptured my lit. No, um, I realize that I sound like I, I talked I, over I watched Francis Fr- for the last time. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, <laughs> I watched a lot of Friends growing up, and it reminded me of when Phoebe got sick and she had the the phlegmy voice. But what actually happened to me is I was doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu yesterday, and a large man crushed my larynx. Um, it hurts quite a bit. <laughs> to just just to speak um but i'm gonna get through it because you know you know why liam you know why Man, some motherfucking professional and i got an energy drink yeah, uh, which will burn the whole way down oh i hadn't even thought of, oh oh my sweet baby boy mm, delicious now liam you've been on board for what like two months now yeah we can say that sure why not um I don't know. Time uh, time doesn't matter to me anymore. Um, <laughs> actually, we're recording this on the seventeenth, and I'm not sure when it will come out. But uh, like, I forgot my book came out today. Congratulations! Because <laughs> like, <laughs> I've lost track of time so badly. Uh, like the last two weeks have just been absolute madhouse for me in between writing and in grad school. But I'm proud of you. Uh, buy Joe's I'd- book. Yeah, please buy the book. Uh, It's called A Call to War. It's part two of uh, The Prisoner's Dilemma, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Also, um, I I don't want to take too much credit for the research paper because I haven't gotten a grade on it yet. It could have sucked. But, uh, you know, uh, since you've come on, you've shot some ideas my way, which is always great. Um, Thank you. And and I, I, I think this is the first idea you gave me, and that is the Aleutian Islands campaign, Liam. This is actually one of my favorites. Real talk, because it's just so damn weird. And I remember, was it Arma? Like the first Arma that had an Aleutian Islands mod? Oh, probably. Uh, uh, honestly, I don't. I'm not an Arma geek. I'm a squad geek. But uh, Arma has mods for everything. Yeah. So almost certainly. Now, um, generally, America's military history especially modern history has occurred far from its shores. Um, now, while this is a very good thing, if you happen to be American, uh, also, if you want to make the entire world hate you, it is, all, is also a very good way uh, to play the away team. We should say in some circumstances, in most situations, you ever see the t-shirts that say uh, camo America's away colors. 
I have, and I hate them more than I can describe. <laughs> um, I'm gonna buy that for your birthday. Thank you. Uh, you're gonna, my birthday just passed. You're gonna be waiting some time. Um, yeah, don't worry about it. Now, one of the things that this actually does um, is like uh, it leaves the home front free of the stresses of conflict, other than like you know having a whole lot more jobs and factories and stuff as you turn up about your husband because you don't know where he is yeah i mean it depends maybe he's a shitty husband yeah maybe you're you're rooting for him to be a pow just so you don't have to deal with him (laughs) uh yeah the the best marriage counseling happens in pow camps that's what i always say uh oh man uh salmon fishing in the yemen no okay so it sucks all right but okay the premise is that there's this like rich Middle Eastern ruler who like wants to bring recreational fly fishing to his country to like okay. unite them. And like there's a subplot where like the heroine uh is dating this special forces guy, and then he goes missing, and then at like the denouement of the movie, he comes back and she's got all these feelings and like then she like and whatever the movie's like eight years old. I'll spoil it. And then she leaves him for like a fish biologist, who's the hero of the movie. Still, I'm just glad that weird, like man. a fish biologist could be the hero of a movie. You don't hear that happening very often. I'd leave my girlfriend for Owen McGregor. Yeah, fair enough. Um, he, he he's a smoke show. Uh, my my personal favorite uh, coming home from war is uh is is Homeland, and it's not because it's a good show. It's because. Your husband comes back and almost becomes a suicide bomber. <laughs> you know, um, as one does. War changes a uh, man. Yeah, uh, I mean, whom we all go through phases. <laughs> Who doesn't remember their suicide bomber phase? Uh, Mom, it's uh, not just a phase. I'm gonna blow up the mall. <laughs> it's it, it it's like a devil lock, but it's a, a whole jacket that you wear only once. Um, who doesn't enjoy a good tailored suit? Now, uh, there's a reason. Th- th- this is the reason why, um, not the suicide bomber or the fly fishing, but you know, fighting wars away from home is a reason why that there's only been one instance since the War of 1812 that part of the United States has come under enemy occupation. And I assure you, it is way dumber than you probably think it is. <laughs> that, which, of course, brings us to the Aleutian Islands. Um, now, uh, I'm going to have to ask a lot of people to forgive my ignorance on this one. I did know that there's obviously island chains off of Alaska. I mean, it, I didn't realize how remote they were. Oh, like, yeah. uh, I mean, w- Alaska's w- already remote. Like they're yeah. just in the middle truly of nowhere. It, it's always hard. I mean, it, it took a lot for me to kind of like conceptualize how like truly far away I am from the mainland of the United States. <laughs> right. Like I'm just charting, like I'm, I'm going to Armenia very shortly and like I'm looking at the the various flights I have to take in order to get there. I'm like Jesus Christ, I have to fly seven hours just to get to an uh, another American airport. Holy right? fuck! <laughs> what LAX? Uh, I'm going to Seattle. Yeah, uh, okay. LAX was like the original stop, but uh, I would have to wait in LAX for a day for my next no, flight to uh, Qatar. And I was like, no. Uh, so you're but, gonna overshoot Armenia and then yeah, double back I'm, basically. There's, I think, the only like major airline that has like the, if you get to Western Europe for the most part, you can get flights into Yerevan, uh, sure. mostly from France. Uh, but uh, th- it turns out Qatar is is the most reliable way. Um, it's like a two a three hour flight, uh, but 
Yeah. So the flight like 16 hours to get there though. But you know, like when you're looking at things like that, you kind of forget truly how remote some parts of the United States are or what some parts who didn't used to be part of the United States are. Um, like there's five, like the, the, I'm going to talk about a little bit about the Aleutian islands because how remote and inhospitable some of them are, are pretty, mm-hmm. pretty important to the story. Um, like there's a reason why one of the islands we're going to talk about is uninhabited. Um, now, there, the Aleutian Islands is a, a, a chain of five different island groups with 300 different islands, um, some extending over 1,000 miles away from Alaska itself, which is already out there right. quite a bit. You know, um, Now, most of these, oh, a lot, uh, I don't want to say most, are uninhabited, mostly because even the, uh, the, the natives who are used to a very, very hard, hard scrabble existence were like, yo, fuck that. No, the, um, no, no, I, I like, <laughs> I like mountains. I'm tired yeah, of eating I, whale. <laughs> um, others are home to mostly very small populations of native people. It's a collection of different tribes. Many of them are the, uh, the Unagans, I believe it's pronounced. Sorry, y'all. Um, others are different tribes. Um, and they have they've had some a very minimal contact with the outside world previous to most of everything we're going to talk about. Um, now the islands are significantly closer to Russia, uh, or at least Russian territories, and those were the first outsiders that the native people came in contact with. Uh, in case people are not aware, Russia owned Alaska Until before Seward the United States did. Eighteen sixty-seven. Yeah. Seward's folly. Seward's folly. Uh, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, now. The Russians saw this as an area for settlement, uh, which failed miserably uh, for obvious reasons. Even for Russians, this place sucked to live in. Um, and there, you know, and when people think of Russians, they think of people that can live through like any kind of cold or miserable environment. And Russians, uh, R- Russians got to the Aleutians uh, because, kind of like most settlements, right? It was kind of a little bit of a lie to get people out there. Uh, they got out there like, "I am going home." Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, obviously some of this had to do with native people, uh, not wanting people to settle on their islands. Cause why would they, uh, and the two sides occasionally started killing one another. Uh, eventually the Russians fucked off, uh, though this mostly occurred in a two Island, which is one of the biggest and had one of the larger populations of, uh, of the Island chains. Now, outside of the Russians, the islands are mostly ignored by various colonizers and uh, cartographers moving through the area. That's rude. Most, mostly because they took one look at them like, that does not seem worth look it. Look at this hunk of um, shit, you guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, because even places like Alaska throughout all of us, nobody was aware they were sitting upon oil. Because why would they? Right. So they're like, ah, Alaska, this massive expanse of nothingness and, and snow. Well done, boys. Um. But eventually, Russian, uh, as would be the case, Russian Orthodox uh, missionaries you know, stayed there for quite a while. And they did the normal colonizer type shit, like introduce an alphabet, push their religion onto them. But, you know, they also got smallpox vaccinations onto the islands. So, you know, you. Who's to say? Yeah, some old. Uh, they didn't genocide them. So they have that going for them. And this is mostly because of Russian colonizers have a tendency to just marry into whatever native tribes they they move into. Uh, and they also adopted a lot of their their cultural practices when it came to hunting and, you know, not dying while living on the islands. This is, ha- they were forced to have more of a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, you might describe my colonizing strategy as any holes a goal. 
<laughs> it, it, yeah, sure. Fuck. I mean, <laughs> I mean, obviously they didn't have this attitude in all of their territories: oh, of Siberia, uh, Chechnya, various other places. Um, but you know, I guess what I'm trying to say while tr- desperately attempting to move on is mm-hmm. for all of, all of all, <laughs> all of all of the colonialism we have talked about this show. This is the least bad. <laughs> that will change drastically. Oh, don't worry. No. Well, they also just a gold joke. <laughs> well, it won't involve the Russians. If that makes you feel any better. A little. Um, now, all of this eventually changed. Oh, small side note here. Nothing to do with anything, but I do have to point this out. The 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 eastern islands of the the Aleutian Island chain were charted by a guy named uh, or explored by a guy named James Cook. Um, now, James Cook is. Much more famous, in my opinion, mm. for for going getting off owned. to the Hawaiian <laughs> Islands and getting stabbed to death on Valentine's getting Day in seventeen seventy nine. Yes, something that uh, we all celebrate to this day. <laughs> That's truly what Valentine's Day is about. Um, then, of course, uh, in eighteen sixty seven, the Russian Empire sold their claims uh, over Alaska to the United States for the small sum of two point seven million dollars. Now, this is normally one of those times, like, well, with inflation, that's like twenty billion dollars. It, it's not. It's like a little over a hundred million. It's still nothing. Yeah. Um. It costs slightly more than the than the cost of a single American F thirty five jet. Um, <laughs> objectively better too. Yeah, I would rather have an Alaska for sure. Yeah. Um, now the reasons for this are all very stupid. Uh, for one, as we've pointed out already, nobody knew that Alaska would be worth vast amounts of money at right. some point. Um, this is also after the Crimean War, and Russia was pretty broke and needed that money, even if it wasn't that much. Uh, the Russian settlements in Alaska never really took off, and supplying them was a massive pain in the ass and made them a constant. Like, just drain on their finances. Um, not to mention, as you can imagine, this being post Crimean War, Britain and Russia weren't cool. Oh no! Uh, and uh, you know, Britain was just over the border in Canada and could pretty much just walk in and take it over whenever they wanted. Um, so Russia decided to pawn it off for some chump change. Uh, we already made the joke that it was called Seward's Folly uh, because everybody thought it was a giant waste of money. Um, Suck it, I guess. Yeah, sorry. Uh, NORAD sends its regards, I guess. Yeah. Or we replace yeah. NORAD with. Whatever. Um, vast, mass, just massive amounts of oil wealth yeah. uh, and, and all of the horrible things that comes with it. And yeah. Carabao. Now, like the U.S., uh, or sorry, like Russia, the U.S. didn't really do much with the islands. They didn't really do much with Alaska at the time, really. Um, right. Uh, but specifically, barely nothing with the islands. It took decades for them to even build a hospital or a school out that way, not even really wanting to bother the natives that much, which is progressivism in the U.S. Yep. at the time. <laughs> Great for us, boys. Yeah, that they don't even want to fuck with you is really as good as it gets uh, in late 1800s United States. Um, it wasn't until the 1920s that the native peoples of the island were extended U.S. citizenship. Um, and this only happens because everyone else considered a American native were also extended American citizenship. Um, which, thankfully, nothing bad happened to get to that point, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't Moving know. Right yeah, along. I don't know. That is, a, that is a discussion for a, a, a different series. Um, bad things. Uh, now, things uh, 
in Alaska may have changed in the middle years. Uh, for the islands in the Aleutians, they really didn't. Uh, they probably couldn't really tell you the difference between the Russians and the Americans at this point. Right. But but leading up to World War II, uh, the U.S. hadn't even really bothered to map all the islands they had bought a couple decades before. Well, that's what a dick. What do you think the U.S. Geological Survey is there for? I mean, remember these are these extend a thousand miles outside care. of Alaska. Get it into it. It is the twenties and thirties. So like fly, <laughs> flying a plane out that way is like just a death sentence. rolling a dice. If you're going to fucking die or not. Um, now the U S military was thinking of some, like um, uh, an attack on these far flung islands uh, was not really such a, a threat. Because why uh, would like, you? Right. Pretty much everybody assumed and rightfully that an attack would happen on the Hawaiian islands uh, because that's where the fleet was. Sure. Um, before uh, World War II, there was like a, a couple thousand soldiers stationed in various parts of Alaska, mostly in Dutch Harbor. I think they had like four planes, maybe two of them worked like nobody really gave a shit. But obviously that would change. Um uh, eventually, the the military started moving more and more and more soldiers into the area, mostly around Cold Bay, Cold Bay and Dutch Harbor on the island of Unalaska. Uh, there was some naval air stations, some army air bases as well, because Air Force doesn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Though in an area as 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 just lar- as large as Alaska is, it's really hard to consider this like a large military force at all, right? Um, just based on sheer size. And like we talked about before, kind of half jokingly, how hard it is to fly out there. It's not really much of a joke. Um, the whole area is known for like someone called pea soup fog virtually year round. So driven through that ate, wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, like it ate planes alive back in the day and, and pilots specifically like crashed constantly. So yeah. a lot of their planes were always out of service. Also people would just get lost and crash into things. There's no really like no GPS. You have to like, I fuck everything. And right. if you can't see anything, you're kind of screwed. Um, now the most reliable unit of the U S military around this time w- or would be eventually shipped into the Alaskan area around this time was the Navy's North Pacific a force known as Task Force Eight, commanded by Robert Fuzzy Theobald. What? Yeah. Um, now his direct boss is Chester Nimitz, who commanded the Pacific Fleet from the Oahu <laughs> Island of from Hawaii, the, from the place of the nice climate. Yeah, yeah. He's not going to go to fucking the Aleutian <laughs> Islands. Are you kidding me? It's like, no. If you do, you'll be in Honolulu, you stupid bitch. Goodbye, subordinate. <laughs> it's nicer here, even when it's raining bobs. No, uh, no. Small side note here. Old Fuzzy, uh, as like people actually called him Fuzzy, I did not make that up, uh, would actually become one of the architects of the conspiracy theory that FDR knew about the Pearl Harbor attacks and let them happen. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> he, he wrote an entire book about it. Um, and now uh, I should point out, since I brought it up, there's no evidence that this is real. Um, it really seems to me that people are grasping straws about how the U.S. magic get caught off guard by the Japanese. Right. Like most conspiracy theories, this one, based on racism. Uh, yeah, crazy I, how that works. How did white people get fooled by these wily Asians? That's pretty much what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. It, like, it couldn't possibly be that they were competent at their job. Like, they had to be an inside job, right? right? It's... It, a lot of what you see whenever it comes to stuff like that is is racism or anti-Semitism most of the yeah. time. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Oh, Though I do, will give him credit, do I didn't hear Jews come up once. <laughs> oh, we did it. We, we, yeah, we were there. We financed the whole thing. It was, it was a Scott Dave, a Jap- It was the it, the Insider Jewish Japanese Alliance. There's, you know, they're they're nice most of the time. They bring good food. <laughs> now, while the U.S. involvement in World War II obviously started on December seventh, nineteen forty-one, when they attacked Pearl Harbor, which yes, we will eventually talk about. Though I keep saying. I need to go to like the monuments and stuff before I, I truly do that. That's been a huge pain in the ass. So give me some time. Yeah. Um, uh, well, meanwhile, not a whole lot was happening uh, in Alaska as the war unfolded across the Pacific Ocean. Uh, but by spring of 1942, there were 45,000 American servicemen in Alaska, 13,000 of whom were stationed on the partially fortified islands of Unalaska and Umnak. Um, the only f- heavily fortified uh, areas were Dutch Harbor, which I assume were defended by a relatively small force of Discovery Channel cameramen and the, mm-hmm. ca- the cast of Deadly Sketch. <laughs> Seriously, that's the only reason why I've ever heard of that place. Um, in summer, and I use that term loosely in regards to the Aleutian it's Islands. it's cold. <laughs> yeah, uh, the average temperature is like 38. <laughs> it sounds like my kind of weather, to be quite honest. Ugh. Yeah, I'm one of those fucking people. Now, it was in the summer that the Japanese invaded, and we'll obviously you're going to talk about that whole thing, uh, but we need to uh, also figure out why exactly they invaded two tiny islands out in the middle of fucking nowhere that offer them literally nothing. Because, and this is true, to this day, nobody is sure why. <laughs> blood lust, blood lust, blood lust. Now, there is a lot of different reasons uh, that people uh, throw out. Uh, there's some combination of them that makes sense. Um, the best anybody can come up with in regards to the invasion of the Aleutian Islands is that the Japanese are hoping that it would act as a distraction. And I mostly believe this one. Admiral Isoroku Yamamoto, the commander of the Japanese fleet, who obviously commanded the attack on Pearl Harbor, decided to attack the islands to convince the United States that the main Japanese thrust would be against America's west coast. He wanted to lure U.S. ships from Pearl Harbor, the, you know, the one still there. Um, then he would strike at Midway in the Central Pacific, his real objective. Now, Yamamoto figured the Americans would rush to defend the Aleutians, realizing that like oh oh god they're actually attacking the United States again like there's gonna like our worst case scenarios after Pearl Harbor they're actually gonna invade right mm-hmm. um, now realizing that this was the move the U S fleet would then run back to Pearl Harbor because they realized like oh they're just invading the Aleutians not invading the mainland Alaska who gives a shit about the Aleutians um, then Yamamoto would spring his trap and intercept the U S armada at Midway and kill it. Uh, yeah. Famously, uh, a disaster for the U.S. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Turns out the exact opposite of that. Happened. Scoreboard. Um, Scoreboard. Yeah. <laughs> now, as some people are probably aware, this was never going to work as the U.S. had long since cracked the Japanese codes and were ready for them at Midway, uh, making all of this totally pointless. Uh, U.S. Admiral Chester A. Nimitz, Commander-in-Chief of the Pacific, had received word of Yamamoto's plan in late May, a few weeks before the invasion would touch down in the Aleutian Islands. Nimitz knew that Yamamoto had ordered Vice Admiral Boshiro Hasogawa's task force, consisting of two small aircraft carriers, five cruisers, 12 destroyers, six submarines, to the Aleutians. Now, here's the hilarious thing that I pull out of this, that nobody is... I, that I didn't see anybody else kind of like spell out is that, is that Joe K you, original. 
yeah, this is this is my critical analysis of these these historical uh, materials. The U.S. knew that the Japanese were going to invade and then simply let them do it because they knew that they'd be stuck on the Aleutian <laughs> Islands. <laughs> like, good luck, motherfuckers. What power do you? Like, it's not like they're planning on invading Alaska. Like, that was the one thing the U.S. is worried about, right. like mainland Alaska. Right. They're like, oh, you're you're going there. We don't we legitimately do not give a fuck. Uh, go there and freeze to death. Get killed by the hurricane force winds that occasionally just sweep through the islands for no reason. Up we to the don't care for us, so on and so forth. Yeah, they, they, it, it was they, they like congratulations. You've played yourself is what it boils Put down to. Put a quarter to. in your ass because you played yourself, if you will. <laughs> Theobald, the commander of Task Force Eight, would eventually sit around and do nothing during the invasions. Uh, but he did so well one because. He was ordered to, and also on purpose. His job was to make sure that the Japanese simply didn't try to invade mainland Alaska or actually take Dutch Harbor or something important, mm-hmm. um, not to protect any of these outlying islands. Like he, he was given explicit was like, no, 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 you you just let them do what they want out there. They're not going to like. There's not. There's no food. There's no resources. Like just leave them alone. Right. <laughs> let them burn them. It's like when a child has a temper tantrum. Yeah, just let them burn himself out. out. Yeah. Yeah. Now, or get Japanese by a, hur- by a caribou hurricane, whichever caribou hurricane. Yeah, it's a, that, that's the Alaskan DIY Sharknado. <laughs> uh, the Japanese, of course, had no idea their codes had been cracked and thought this plan was clearly going to succeed. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor babies. Um, so I, I, was, I was talking about that with the uh, whatever the Nazi melting plane. It's like it would fly if you gave it a chance. <laughs> they were equally convinced that they had the most up-to-date intelligence on the islands that they could possibly have before they ordered their attack their intelligence actually ended up being as wrong as it possibly could have been (laughs) for starters the japanese were operating under the idea that the american aircraft were stationed on kodiak island which is 600 miles away from where they actually were then they were then like (sighs) The best part was, is they also forgot to look at, I don't know, weather charts. Uh-oh. Or, I imagine uh, this like, is not going to go well for them, Joe. <laughs> like, what is the weather like in Alaska? Bad. <laughs> Google just comes back, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> don't fly over the Aleutian Islands. Weird. Um, now, the Aleutian Islands, like I said, were pretty well known for being cloaked in fog nearly eternally like a very weird Silent Hill level. Um, this would be very important to know about if you were, say, deploying carrier-based aircraft to attack Dutch Harbor. Mm. So on June 3rd, when the Japanese did just that... <laughs> I was going to ask, what, what did the Japanese want <laughs> to do, Joe? They began what was known as the Battle of Dutch Harbor. Things got pretty hilarious very quickly. As uh, soon as they deployed off the carriers, the planes got lost in dense fog that uh, just cloaked the entire area. Crazy. Most of these pilots got lost and crashed into the ocean and died. Crazy. <laughs> it's it's because, how you warned me about that exact thing. Because, like, if you crash into the ocean in Alaska. Me personally using, or? You, yeah, it's <laughs> just me. Um, you and me. Joe and like Liam's in, Friendship Express. If you are flying an aircraft in 1942 and you go down in Arctic waters... You die in seconds. Yeah, I don't know if anybody's aware of that. Survival suits really aren't a thing yet. Um, you just die. You die horribly. Um, but by around 5 a.m., 
a whopping 17 surviving planes finally found Dutch Harbor, at which point they became shocked. They were uh, then attacked by American Interceptor Air Force uh, planes that were stationed right there and waiting for them. Mm. <laughs> which were much better in flying in the fog uh, because they did it all the time. Sure. They were stationed in the fucking Aleutian Islands. Now, the pilots were pretty scared, but they had to actually get rid of their munitions because they wouldn't have enough gas to get back. So they just like jettisoned their bombs into random places, strafed some buildings and hauled ass back to the aircraft Dick carriers. Move. Yeah. The next day, the Japanese planes did, tried it again. Uh, this time, the uh, the weather cooperated them much better than the day before, and they did blow up or at least set fire to the Dutch Harbor oil reserves, and they killed about 100 people, which, you know, dick move. Dick move. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, it's unfortunate that I'm, you know what? I'm not going to finish that sentence. I'm going to move on. Mm-mm. Though, uh, now, the U.S. Air Forces, now I use the term Air Forces, it's the Army oh, Air Corps. Right, right, right. It, it's easier to write. Um, in the area, immediately chased the jets off, or the, the planes off. They didn't have jets. Um, and then uh, they found the, uh, the Japanese fleet, right? They're like, oh, shit, there they are, right? It's a <laughs> decent-sized fleet for, you know, attacking the Aleutian Islands. Uh, and then they were, the, the problem was they didn't bring any, like, uh, torpedoes or anything uh, that they could use against those that they can deploy from from their planes. So they're going to double back to Dutch Harbor, rearm, and then attack the fleet. And they lost it in the fog too. Um, whoops. Now, two, there's also uh, the at the same time this was going to happen, the Japanese were supposed to invade the island of Adak, and they just didn't. Why? Nobody's sure why. Survived. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, also going uh, building off the idea of really bad intelligence, the Japanese are the idea that there's an American base there and there wasn't. Ah. Like, yeah. So I guess it's a good thing they didn't. They've been very disappointed. Once again, America number one. <laughs> Two days after the attack on Dutch Harbor, Japanese troops landed and occupied the western Aleutian Islands of Kiska and, and Atu. There they faced no resistance whatsoever. Uh, Kisco is completely uninhabited with the exception of a 10-man Navy weather team <laughs> oh, and, hey a dog named, and a dog named Explosion. <laughs> Hell of a name. <laughs> <laughs> now, the weather team did not put up a fight as uh, it's kind of unclear if they're... Yeah, it's a weather team. Actually, funny story. Uh, like In the Air Force, the weather teams are like special operations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, these guys were not, though. I, there's some... Uh, um, I'm talking about modern day, obviously, not back then. Uh, But uh, uh, it's kind of confused if they were armed in any way, Mm -hmm. uh, but they surrendered. Uh, But that didn't stop the the Japanese from shooting two of them dead. Uh, Aerographer's mate first class, William House, decided fuck that shit and took off running into the tundra where he spent 50 days hiding from Japanese patrols. Holy shit. Uh, Yeah, over a month living on mostly plants and worms. uh, And then... Yeah, and then he decided to turn himself in because he weighed 80 pounds and was about to die. Um, but he did survive. So he's got that going from. Uh, and they did take explosion POW, which is unfortunate. That sucks. Until every dog comes home. That's what the <laughs> POW flag means. Um, now, on A2, they again uh, did not run into any resistance because nobody was stationed there. But it was populated. Um, there's. A native population of about 45 guys, uh, a- a- along with a married couple of white people, uh, the Joneses. That we're doing exactly what there? Uh, well, the, oh, the husband was the, ra- was the radio guy. Oh, okay. uh, like he, he was their main way to like communicate with other oh, islands. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, 
So was he military oh. or just like a guy? Like literally, he was just, just a guy. guy. He was just a just a dude. He was an just amateur like ham radio guy. Oh Jesus Christ! All right, so uh, small behind the scenes right. glance of the lines led by donkeys. Pie, I guess. Yeah, uh, I lost oh. power yesterday while we were recording, and we had to stop. Uh, and because oh. of our time difference, we had to wait an entire day. Meaning, this is officially the longest podcast episode hey. I've ever made. Hey. Uh, my my throat has gotten worse, uh, <laughs> um, and I I really yeah, hope I don't lose power game, again. I love accidentally living in a place that has having rolling blackouts without telling me. Uh, I've lost power every day this week for at, for at least like three hours a day. It's great. Uh, but we left off with some poor radio guys. Uh, the radio guy on A2 Island getting captured. And the dog. Don't forget the dog. Uh, explosion was on uh, Kiska. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Explosion is safely a POW on the island of Kiska. And uh, I, I do get to say we get to talk about him again yeah. later. Uh, the Joneses, however, the married couple of A2, uh, not so much. Uh, Charles Jones, the husband with the radio operator, decided that, you know, it's probably not in his best interest that uh, the, the Japanese have this radio, right? Um, so he broke it. Uh, and then when the Japanese ordered him to fix it at gunpoint, he refused. So they, they shot him. Oh, damn. Rude. Dick move. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Japanese Imperial Army, sir, you are canceled. Um, now, the Japanese then decided that these natives, the, uh, the, the Alaskan natives, also the, the one white lady now, about 45 people, uh, were so liberated uh, from their imperial oppressors um, on the island uh, they didn't need to be on the island anymore. You see, Liam? Uh, um, what? <laughs> so they they stuffed everybody onto a boat and sailed them back to Japan, where they were promptly placed in a concentration camp and died. Wow, um, move. Yeah, about half of them died. Uh, so thanks, thanks for the liberation. Uh, and also, Thank you guys. <laughs> This is not the only time I have to bring this up, unfortunately. This is the part where I say, wait, it gets worse. Um, so as most people um, who have, you know, are, are at least American, uh, and actually probably most people know this by now, during World War II, we had a little thing called Executive Order 9066, uh, which was signed by Franklin Delano Roosevelt and singled out, quote, resident enemy aliens. Uh, their language, not mine, uh, in the United States during World War II. Now, this forced 120,000 or so Americans of Japanese descent into concentration camps. Yes, that is the correct term for those. Um, in a chapter of American history, overshadowed and largely forgotten, this order also impacted native Alaskans of the Aleutian Islands. Now, Following Japan's aggression, the U.S. military decided to forcefully evacuate indigenous people from their homes, detaining them in camps in the Alaskan panhandle oh, on the shit, mainland. I didn't know any of that. I did not wow. either. That's fucked up. I mean, I'm not surprised, but that's fucked up. Yeah. Uh, they then destroyed their villages in a scorched earth policy what? meant to prevent the wow. invading Japanese troops from using their what? housing. Now, in all, uh, 881 Alaskan natives of various tribes were forced uh, into these camps. 
these camps are incredibly unsanitary in southeast, uh, southeast Alaska, and they were held there throughout the war. Uh, in case you're wondering, these islands would be liberated in 1943. These people would not be released from camps until after the war, which was two more years. And I assume these are basically um, the exact same camps the Japanese were given. Given, you know, held in. I shouldn't say given. Put yeah. in. Um, honestly, I think it, this is based on environment alone. These camps were significantly Yeah, worse. I was going to ask. I know about Japanese camps in Washington State. Were they also in Alaska or just like Washington, Oregon, California? Oh, the camps that the Alaska natives were put in were no, in Alaska. I was Alaska. asking about, were there, did they share with the Japanese or the Japanese kept in like the Pacific Northwest? No, no. The, they were kept mostly yeah, in the okay, Pacific Northwest, I California. I yeah. Ironically, um, small side note here for, uh, for you know, the people to this day will defend FDR's oh, yeah. uh, order putting Japanese people in concentration camps. You know where they weren't put in concentration camps? Hawaii. Yeah. Despite the fact that this is the place that was attacked, uh, because this might shock you, they're a rather large portion of the working population here. And if they threw them all in camps, they wouldn't have a workforce. So clearly the uh, the worry that there might be a sleeper agent wasn't actually real. It was just it's racist. racist. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, one Fish and Wildlife Service member recalled nobody was allowed to bring any more than one suitcase of possessions. Troops then set fire to villages that had been inhabited just a day before uh, rather than leave them to the Japanese. Uh, as the National Park Service writes, the internment camps of the Alut evacuees were forced to live in were, quote, abandoned canneries, a herring saltery and a gold Jesus mine camp. Jesus fucking Christ. Rotting facilities with no plumbing, electricity, or toilets. They had very little potable water, no warm winter clothing in Alaska, and subpar food. 10% of all native evacuees died. Jesus. So, yeah. Greatest country on earth, baby. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and remi- remember, uh, we had granted them uh, citizenship in the 20s. So, those are American citizens. Cool. cool. And that, make- that makes it extra evil. <laughs> Right, like that. This is even like the the dreaded outsider. They're like, no, those are just Americans, bro. <laughs> like, come on, man. Uh, now, obviously, the capture uh, of part of the United States so close to home scared the living shit out of civilians. Uh, not so much the government. Uh, thinking a real Japanese invasion of the United States was actually possible because they made it onto some shitty rocks out, outside of Alaska. Um, it was mostly just embarrassing for the government because they had admit that the, the Japanese took him. Obviously, they're not going to point out in the news like, no, 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 we saw this coming. We cracked their codes. We we actually won the situation because, you know, it's secrets right. and stuff. Uh, but on a long enough timeline, the, the government was kind of worried the Japanese might be able to get their shit together uh, to, like, you know, maybe put up uh, some kind of airstrip out there, bomb targets in Alaska, maybe invade uh, mainland, uh, mainland right. Alaska. Which could then, you know, uh, they'd be able to attack the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Uh, the ri- rising dawn. Um, and another thing was like America was shipping a fuckload of stuff to the USSR. Uh, and this is directly in the way now. Uh, so like the idea that they might be able to station uh, permanently station some submarines or something out there was a pretty big worry. 
and the Japanese were were actually worried that the the U.S. might use this as an invasion route to Japan, like a like an air bridge. Despite the like the U.S. pretty much dismissed that immediately right. uh, as an idea because flying through there's such a pain in the ass. Now, remember, as ridiculous as this sounds now, uh, at the time, the Japanese were like kind of blitzing across the Pacific. While we had won some naval wars, the Japanese still pretty much held everything that they had previously controlled. Like they had stormed through, taken the Philippines, taken everything, you know, especially that the U.S. controlled in the area. They bombed fucking Pearl Harbor, uh, you know, kind of a big deal. They did do that. Yeah, uh, like. General uh, uh, Bolivar Buckner, who was at the time head of the Alaskan Defense Command, worried that if they got a foothold in here like well enough, they might actually be able to bomb the West Coast, which is kind of well, they fire, it was I mean, never they going to happen. Oregon. Yeah, they kill like four whole people. Uh, and honestly, the only reason why that didn't keep happening is one of the best uh, psyops campaigns the U.S. ever launched was the total media refusing blackout, to. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the J- the Japanese are using regular uh, newspapers to see if they'd worked. Right. And since they, they didn't see anything pop up in any newspapers, like, huh, I guess the fuckers fell into the ocean or something. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they were worried that they might be able to get their shit together and turn these rocks into something useful. Uh, this turned out to be the case of someone giving their enemy far too much credit, um, which is, if you lo- if you look at recent American military history, is not something no. we do anymore. Uh, we we do the opposite. We will be graded as liberators, Joe. <laughs> and we couldn't possibly be beaten in and anything ever. Never. Nope. Uh, now, back on the islands, Japan realized quite quickly that this place fucking sucked. <laughs> um, <laughs> the sun rarely emerged from behind a thick layer of relentless fog, pea rain, soup, snow, and hurricane. Yeah, yeah, pea soup fog uh, and hurricane force winds that were known as willy waws. The willy waws were frequent. And hard to predict, uh, like they would just randomly get blasted oh, with like sixty so, mile an hour winds. Just being outside, like taking a dump, <laughs> just yeah, yeah, fuck. yeah. You just get heated <laughs> off a cliff. It, just surviving there was a challenge. Now the funny part is they probably would have known that and had and and maybe known some ways to survive. They had deported if they had all deported it all of the natives. Just of that. Yeah. Now the U.S. for all of its horrible bullshit, like they had an entire scout unit made out of Alaska natives that were from the area, so they're like, "Hey, uh, white guy, if you do that, you'll fucking die." And we're like, oh, "Okay, thanks, no problem, cracker." <laughs> now uh, this is because uh, uh, now this is all made much much worse. Um, it's a lie because like once promise. this. That's right. Uh, but because when Japanese soldiers made it to the islands, like this invasion force, they were in effect abandoned by the Japanese oh, military. Uh, <laughs> this is something that they did with frightening regularity. Yeah, just um, like, fuck off, guys. Yeah. <laughs> good luck. Don't, don't forget to die for the emperor, y'all. Um, now, this is because the route the Japanese Navy had to take to resupply these guys what had to have just been drawn on a map by someone who never intended on using it. 
Um, now, the supply base that would be supplying the Aleutian Islands bases that the Japanese had set up was uh, in Paramushiro Island, which is in the Kurils Islands, situated 1,200 oh. miles north of Tokyo and another 650 miles away from A2. Yeah, that's not very helpful. Uh, this is a, this is a supply chain that like is remember constantly being blown up the whole time because <laughs> like pretty soon after the war begins the Japanese realize like oh they could just bomb us at will um, because when there's a will America will blow it up um, now in addition because of the horrible horrible fog uh, the the and the oceans around Kiska in particular were full of just like horrifically dangerous reefs that we haven't killed through climate change yet that like the supply ships had to go another 400 miles around just to get to <laughs> Kiska that. yeah so after a while the Japanese are like you're fucked yeah again if you're a Japanese admiral just be like that nah. like those guys those dudes will be fine <laughs> good luck eating your shoes <laughs> homie uh, now, this became much worse again when America rolled out their plan to, to deal with the invasion in the meantime, which was, uh, you know, letting the Japanese be on these islands because we knew they sucked. We had to do something. So the army and or the army air force and the, the Navy's pilots decided they would just constantly and around the clock bomb the ever living dog shit out of them without rest. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, the Navy also launched several different blockades against the two islands, uh, making supply even harder. Uh, they sank so many supply ships outside of these islands. The Japanese were like, yeah, we're going to stop sending them. We've been out on the sea for so I long just, just to go die. Home. And the Japanese really had no answer for this. The only U.S. ship sank during this time was the USS Grunion, which if name. you remember, Liam... You get a horrific name, but if you remember from our episode about torpedoes, yes. that's the one that sank itself. Yes. <laughs> that's the only one oh, that was sank during this operation. <laughs> R.I.P. USS Grundle. Participation medal. Yeah, it, like it, sh- it sank like five fucking transport ships before it accidentally yeeted itself yeah, into oblivion. Well, not bad. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, I'm sure that doesn't like help their frozen corpses at the bottom of the sea, but you know, whatever. Now, of course, eventually the Japanese will get fucking crushed at Midway, and slowly the U.S. would start to turn its attention towards these miserable little outposts on the edges of the Japanese Empire in Alaska. They believe that the last place that uh, that the first place they should strike, sorry, is Kiska, because they figured that like it was supposed to be the bigger of the two garrisons, and they're like, well, we need to take this one out first. So they secretly sent soldiers to an island 50 miles away called Amchitka, thinking they'd be able to like kind of act as a, a scout slash buffer, like to keep an eye on them. However, however, the soldiers, like the Japanese, immediately realized this place fucking sucks. Um, they began to get murdered by the environment by the next day. Uh, oh, th- this is <laughs> This is because they decided to deploy soldiers to a remote Alaskan island in January. Oh, with, I assume, not <laughs> adequate uh, cold weather gear. Oh, you know it, baby. You uh, said you they packed were flip-flops, flops, right? Because I got my flip-flops and my swim trunks. I heard we were hitting the beach. It's just 90 mile uh, an hour wind comes in. This unit had just come from fighting oh, in the Pacific Islands. <laughs> that sucks ass. <laughs> Hold on to that too. It get uh, once again. It gets dumber. Uh, as soon as they landed on this island, they were battered 
by those willy was that we talked about, which completely destroyed their landing craft and trapped them there. <laughs> and then they got battered by a blinding blizzard for two oh. weeks. <laughs> There's like, I'm going to fucking I shoot myself. <laughs> yeah. Can, can we just let Japan have this one? Like, come on. Uh, now, meanwhile, uh, Buckner greenlighted invasion plans of Kiska put forward by two generals, Eugene Landrum and Charles Quirlet. There's no, there's going to be a lot of names in here to be thrown around. Really, the only one of these two you need to remember is Landrum. Okay. Now, their plan was favor- favored by Buckner because they had previously been stationed in Alaska and kind of knew how oh. to survive and okay, operate this environment. <laughs> so... Of course, the War Department rejected oh. it. <laughs> and more importantly, they they rejected Landrum as to be a commanding general. Um, so for people unaware, the War Department is now uh, the yeah. Department of Defense. Yeah. Uh, they instead installed a guy named General Albert Brown, uh, along with his 7th Infantry Division. You, you want to guess where they just came from? Then prepared them for give Alaska? Me, uh, give me Wake Island. North oh, Africa, okay. fighting Erwin Rommel. That's the same thing, right? It's both barren. Like, it's fine. One of these is actually Pretty an much. Arctic desert. And one of these, that when you were just in, gentlemen, isn't the kind of, would you find this interesting under gunfire? Someone pushing their glasses up their nose as they get me. fucking I'm literally mortared. doing that right now. Don't mortar me. Me too. Um... Pretty much everyone involved argued that putting Brown in charge was really, really stupid, uh, but the War Department didn't care. Also, by the end of February, the plan was changed to instead invade A2 first, uh, without much change in planning. Um, now, this was because they assumed A2 was the smaller island, uh, garrison-wise, having only been garrisoned by 500 men, mostly badly armed Japanese Marines who had been kind of starved at this point. Uh, everything about that is wrong. Uh, for one, the Japanese had around 2,600 men on the island. They were heavily armed, equipped, and well-led. They had, they were motivated, they had food, and they had artillery. Um, this force was commanded by a guy named Yasuhiro Yamasaki, who had arrived about a month earlier on one of the few transport ships that didn't get blown up. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Uh, everybody was like, oh, fuck, the colonel made it, but my new shoes oh, didn't. Shit. That was my food supply. <laughs> <laughs> can, can we eat the colonel? Um, now, he arrived about a month earlier to take command of the garrison. I'm assuming the outgoing commander was very happy with that deal. Uh, and he was warned ahead of time that, like, hey, when the Americans come, you're on your own. So, like, you need to think of something, right? That's good advice, um, I which, guess. Which, of course... Yeah, like, you don't need to worry about reinforcements because they're not coming. Um, Meanwhile, Brown was busy being a fucking idiot. Uh, Pretty much every planning meeting devolved into arguments uh, with everyone else. Uh, This included when he was offered to go out into a flight uh, to, like, visually scout out the area that he would be operating in just to see just, like, the the, the terrain. Uh, He refused. Scouting lab, yeah. Yeah, he refused. Um, okay, that's that's good for intel. Okay. Yeah, solid. Um, then he ordered the wrong clothing for his soldiers. Um, good job. Yeah. Uh, it was now. It was. It wasn't like tropical clothing. He didn't fuck up that bad, but it was this absolutely like a real dick. Yeah, it was not the last. It was not the right clothing that you'd want to be wearing in the Aleutian Islands. Um. In May of 1943, the U.S. finally launched its invasion force against A2 to the surprise of 
I assume General Brown found out that their just general knowledge and understanding of the area was terrible. Um, now, the basic amount of scouting you want to do on any uh, amphibious landing is like, what do the beaches look like? The beach. Yeah, exactly. You've nailed it, and you haven't spent one single day in the military. Uh Brown landed his first invasion force on a rock shelf facing a uh, a direct cliff. Um, oh. It was not a beach at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're not just going to point to hawk our way up there? Uh, they were not prepared for that. Um, okay. Thankfully for them, the Japanese had no plans of defending the beaches. Uh, so they were able to walk in unopposed with the only real enemy being the island itself, which so, ended up being so a fucking hell of an enemy. Works. All right. Good enough. <laughs> yeah. Now, reading about Alaska, I assume these guys have to deal with, like, snow and ice would be their main terrain problem, right? Right. Um, now, that would eventually be a problem. This is the only Arctic battle that the United States and the Empire of Japan would have. Um, but the main hazard was actually something called muskeg. Have you heard of muskeg? I don't know what the hell, what the, hell that is. I'm afraid to I, ask. So... I had never heard of this shit before. It's a thick, decaying layer of plant plant matter that covered everything on the island and just smells like rotting shit. Oh, so ice moss. <laughs> sure. Like, it's just like a thick layer of decaying dead plants. Cool. Um, oh, and it that, covered that sounds fun to everything. I'm assuming it's like it, it has to be like dead algae or something. I don't know, uh, but it's slimy and slippery as ice. So as soon as soldiers would step on them with their boots that were not prepared for this kind of thing, they'd start slipping and falling on shit smelling dead plants and fall off a cliff oh, and die. Oh, no, not the death moss. <laughs> Uh, and there's like falling hazards at every direction. It's like more. I'm pretty sure more soldiers tripped and fell and died within the first day than were killed by the enemy. Might I say, what a hell of a way to die! Boo! Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Ironic because that song is for the airborne. <laughs> Now, uh, also, the army planned for snow and ice. Like, you know, let's say if I was playing this, like, it was probably snow and ice there. We need, we need to give you sleds, like, to move your artillery or whatever. Sure. Okay. Well, the sleds that were made for snow and ice would not work in muskeg, making them completely useless. Okay. So we're over so far. Yeah. Uh, so this, now Brown's plan after that was to just abandon the artillery on the beach and try to fire what? it from there. Yeah. Uh, it didn't work great. On the south of the island, the soldiers discovered the area was, in fact, defended, much to their chagrin. Uh, they tried to scale the cliffs, they found, uh, and movement was found pretty much impossible. Uh, soldiers would slide down sheer icy slopes. Someone called them human toboggans before they plummet oh. to their death. Ugh. And then the Japanese started shooting at them. Right. Um, and Take probably... Probably my favorite part of this entire thing is a guy named Colonel Edward Early, commander of the 17th Infantry. Now, not because he was good at his job, but because he got what was coming to him. Uh, oh, so this was a promotion by demotion. Uh, a permanent demotion. Ah. <laughs> now, he ordered his soldiers over the next five days to continuously and without break assault Japanese positions in what could only be described as human waves. Uh, which is not really something the U.S. did in World War II. Right. Uh, it, you know, th that that was long gone. Um, 
And each time these waves are beaten back because the Japanese were dug into the cliff sides. Uh, each like each position supported the other. And any way you went in any of the valleys, you were immediately surrounded on the high grounds by Japanese soldiers. Like they planned this out. They they knew what they were doing. Right. Um now military historian Brian Garfield in his book The Thousand Mile War, World War II in Alaska and the Aleutians said, quote, Japanese entrenchments dominated all approaches and Americans had to cross open slopes with no cover. The Japanese guns were linked along the summits and at the military crest a few feet below the skyline. Fog hid the Japanese while it revealed the American lines. And when the thong thog thinned, the, thong. <laughs> the, thog, the fog thinned, the Japanese used smokeless gunpowder that could not be seen by the Americans below them. The soldiers discovered that the weather also played hell with the radios. So, like, the, the dense fog would block radio uh, signals and stuff like that. So, Early found out uh, his radio didn't work uh, and decided that he would just have to go walk up to the line and talk to his commanders. His lifeless bounty was found a short time later after being shot in the face. Oh, <laughs> that's tough. I, I love a good commander death. Uh, <laughs> Soldiers don't win very often, but when we do, it's good. <laughs> now, uh, almost as soon as Early was replaced, his unit broke through the line uh, within that same day. So this is definitely a him problem. <laughs> I'd say so, yeah. Yeah. Now, they, this was done because they had to clear every single nook and cranny that the Japanese were dug into. So it was really brutal close-in fighting. There was like bayonet fighting, uh, people getting beaten to death with rocks and shit oh. like that. Yeah. Ugh. I but love soon, that. <laughs> yeah, well, th- that's the problem with an enemy that doesn't retreat when he's supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> when he's supposed to. Like, you guys! Hey, hey. asshole, we <laughs> beat you! Fuck off! No. Uh, but soon, actually, funny story, we will get into something that kind of existed in that conversation wheelhouse a little bit later on. But soon, every American advance would end up like the southern one. The Japanese were dug in on top of every valley and would not withdraw like a normal person thought they would. And remember, this is a lot of this time. A lot of these units came from Europe, so they never fought the Japanese before. Right. So they're like, well, the Germans would have retreated by now. Like, well, they're not German. Good news. <laughs> it's it's they would hold- yeah. it- Good news. I hope you enjoy cave fighting. Um, instead, they would hold their ground and force each position to be taken one by one. In many cases, the Americans would get so close, the Japanese would throw English curse words at them that they had learned. Aww, what's, what's <laughs> and, they would, and they would shit talk each other while trying to murder one another. Uh, so, like, someone remembered uh, a, a soldier saying, you go home, you go home, and you die. Uh, and then, uh, I guess the American learned how to say, bitch, suck my dick in, in Japanese. Just hurling a, <laughs> a grenade. Kill I love me. it. it it's, just the, it's just the most uh, soldier thing you could possibly learn. And I say this at, at, like about the Japanese as well. It's like, you're going to learn one thing about the, the language of the person you're fighting. It's absolutely going to be how to shit talk them. It's like when you look up, uh, when you're learning a new language, you go to the dictionary and immediately go to the curse words. Yeah, that's exactly what, like, they both did with the little handbook that they got. Um, and now, I don't know if, like, the Japanese understood them. I'm going to assume probably not. Uh, Japanese is a very hard language. But I would like to think there's some cross-cultural... Uh, exchange, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, exchange, <laughs> uh, you know, a lo- along with them bayoneting each other as they did this. Um, truly, bridges were built that day. 
Um, now, if that wasn't bad enough, and it, it's pretty bad, um, uh, soldiers were getting wounded and dying even when they weren't fighting. In one case, in between firefights, half of an entire scouting battalion made up of mostly Alaskans, uh, like native Alaskans, actually got frostbite, which tells me that the frostbite numbers for the like the the mainland American soldiers were the guys much, much from higher. North Africa were probably worse. Yes, yeah, they weren't they weren't doing good. Now, eventually, General Brown was fired, uh, and good? as fitting okay. as that is, now as fitting as that is, we're all happy General Brown got fired. It was not for the reasons, the various reasons he should have actually been fired for. Um, now, did he integrate an army in it or something? <laughs> How dare you! Uh, now, Brown's boss is a guy named General John Dewitt. Um, now, he's a guy that more Americans should probably know about. He should go down in history as the guy who came up with the idea for the Japanese concentration camps in America, ah. because he did. He literally wrote the report for it in 1942, titled Final Report, Japanese Amer- Evacuation from the West Coast, 1942. He went so far as to say that Japanese should never be allowed to move back to the coast and should stay in camps Jesus. after the war. Yep, yep. Now, he was technically Brown's boss, um, and this would be the really the only combat command he would ever have because he's a concentration camp guard. He's the American SS. Right. Uh, Dick. But uh, yeah, this is one of the few combat commands he had, and he fired Brown. Now, the reason for that was is because he had promised the Joint Chiefs of Staff that A2 Island would fall in three days, and it had not, and Brown had made him look bad. <laughs> That's the only reason he got fired. Throw it there with don't fuck with the money, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, don't fuck with my career. I'm busy over here building concentration camps, and you're over there making me look bad. Can't you see I'm busy? <laughs> now, um, Buckner, who was about a couple hundred miles away on a different island, met with DeWitt. He realized that he wanted to fire Brown, so he, like, saddled up alongside, like, hey, I got this guy, General Landrum. You should pick mm-hmm. him. And that, and then he this finally the got General Landrum. Guy, right? Yeah. Landrum yep. was the... Was the- Alaska guy, yeah, okay. Yeah, and uh, DeWitt agreed. So uh, the the guy who should have had the job in the first place finally got the job. Unfortunately, uh, it took the guy it took the guy that built America's concentration camps to step in and do the right thing. Ah, uh, it's almost <laughs> a happy ending. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ugh. Meanwhile, the island slowly began to fall. Soldiers in the front line had to withstand bitter cold and temperatures without the benefit of any shelter. The sick and missing soon began to multiply as soldiers slipped and fell into places they would never be seen or found. To support the infantry, Landrum finally ordered the artillery to get off the fucking beach where Brown had landed it, which meant that it had to be manhandled and strapped to people like they were pack animals and oh. hauled up cliffs. Fuck, no, thank you. Imagine doing that like 28 below. No, dude, kill me. Kill me. I'm deserting. <laughs> oh, uh, if, if it makes you feel any better, a lot of people did that. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people shot yeah. themselves in the situation. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, um, it's like good news. You're getting your artillery support. What's the bad news? Uh, you are the climate shoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then when the artillery started actually being fired, like round after round, it had to be like the the artillerymen would like toboggan down the cliff faces, grab more rounds, and climb back up. Fuck no. Um, now the sun finally appeared through the fog that enveloped A two since the battle had begun. Uh, had begun. 
With the weather improving, dozens of Army Air Corps planes bombed and strafed the enemy camp at the uh, at the installation known as Chickahoff Harbor, which is like the main garrison for Japan. Now, this bombardment was so uh, thorough that one Japanese officer penned his diary, quote, I am suffering from diarrhea and I feel dizzy. <laughs> it felt like the barracks blew up. Things shook and rocks and mud fell all and flew all around me. Strafing planes hit the room next to me and my room looks like an awful mess from the sand and pebbles and shit. <laughs> hey, you and me both, brother. This shit sucks ass. Like you're shitty. You're, you're like constantly firing liquid diarrhea into a chamber pot uh, that then is blown up all around your room. <laughs> oh, it's rude if nothing else. If there's one through line of soldiers fighting throughout history, it doesn't matter what what army you're in, what time you're in. It's just you're going to get diarrhea. Yeah. It's going to be miserable. <laughs> Thank you for recording it for posterity. Yep. By the end of May, Yamasaki only had around 800 soldiers left. They were trapped in one final area called the Buffalo Ridge. His back was against the wall. He had nowhere to go, and there was no reinforcements. That meant only hey, one that thing. Charge. That bonsai charge. That's <laughs> right, <yeah>. baby. <laughs> At 3 a.m., the terrifying cry of bonsai. <laughs> yeah, like, come on, man. Can't you wait till I have my fucking coffee? <laughs> Just like... The makeshift toilet winds are like in 70 miles an hour and it's 30 below and you fucking hear bonsai. Like, no, go home. Someone along the lines like, this watch couldn't possibly get worse and the bushes yell bonsai at you. Like, I hate God this fucking it. place. <laughs> Fuck this goddamn island. You know, getting stabbed with a, by an angry man with a sword would hurt really bad all the time, but like getting st- it's like stabbing your toe when it's cold out, right? It hurts way worse. So, like, I imagine if that's the same for getting stabbed by an angry Japanese guy with a sword. And I choose to believe it does. I'm with you. Um, that's a dick move, man. <laughs> now, uh, bon- er, I almost called him Bonsai. Yamasaki and his, uh, his band of merry men had crawled up very, very close to the American perimeter before launching into their charge. And they pretty much punched straight through the perimeter because people had no fucking idea what was happening. I um, am and it's cold out. Yeah, uh, everyone's just like huddled. Like, I've, I've been on guard duty when it's cold and miserable and dark, and I'm not watching. Like, if the Taliban wanted to murder me, they could have just walked up and beat me to death because I wasn't paying attention. The only thing I was worried about was staying warm. Right. Uh, now, these guys ran straight into B Company, the 1st Battalion of the 32nd Infantry, which is coming off the front line. Uh, like, they had, they had just left the perimeter. They're going back to the rear to get their first hot meal in a month. And then we're, oh, <laughs> we're confronted ma- oh. by screaming, sword-wielding Japanese soldiers. Come on, man. I just want some fucking coffee. Um, now, a lot of these guys caught by complete surprise, realized they were not going to fight and just ran. Uh, some people tried to sh- uh, shoot it out uh, while trying to get away. Yamasaki's men slashed and bayoneted their way through the thinly held line. Uh, anybody who was caught wounded was executed as they went, though a few smart soldiers just fell to the ground and played dead. <laughs> True fucking kings of the situation. Like, I'm too cold for this shit. I'm just going to lay down under this bush. Hope they don't see me. But soon the element of surprise ran out and the charge ran, actually ran into a prepared defense position and got torn to shreds. It's generally what happens when you charge a machine gun while armed with a bayonet and a sword. Good. 
Good. Yeah. Fucking dicks. <laughs> <laughs> the survivors, Yamasaki not among them, as he was killed while charging a machine gun nest with a sword, had another way out. Uh, soldiers gathered in a gulch near a place called Engineer Hill, uh, and one American soldier had a, a very interesting eyewitness account to what had to be the weirdest thing he's ever watched in his life. Uh, a, a sergeant watched his Japanese soldiers primed hand grenades by slapping them on their helmets and then put them under their chin and held them until they exploded. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Only thanks. 20... Yeah, he's like, I was very confused that I watched them explode, and I realized that that was human bodies exploding. Uh, and he watched as like two hundred dudes did this, just one by one, popping into pieces. Um, great. Only That's only twenty eight soldiers survived. Uh, just I assume refusing to do it or not having the balls to do it. I know I fall into both of those camps. Hard say. Yeah, I mean, granted, I guess putting a hand grenade under your face is a very good way to make sure you die. Uh, You're not going to accidentally live through that one. Now, at this, the battle was over, and America had won. They had reclaimed A2 Island. So what was the cost of the U.S. Army's first amphibious assault? Well, Uh, quite a bit, I'm going to wager. A whole lot. Uh, 3,829 casualties, 549 of them killed, 1,148 wounded, 1,200 frostbite victims. Holy shit. Over 600 from various sicknesses and exposure to the cold. And they assume around 318 suicides. God damn. Yeah, just doing a fucking VA speed run on this one. Uh, there was also just untold amounts of combat, did fatigue, you say and accidents. VA speed run? <laughs> I sure did. As <laughs> uh, just absolutely, I mean, the like I said, the the Japanese garrison only twenty eight of them walked out of there alive. Right. Um, so, in proportion to the number of troops engaged to casualty rates, this would rank as the second most costly American battle in the Pacific Theater, second only to Iwo Jima. But uh, we we generally don't talk about it because it makes us look very stupid. But you know what makes us look even dumber? Kiska. (laughs) (laughs) So after taking A2, the Joint Chiefs directed their attention to Kiska Island. Uh, American intelligence estimated that the Japanese troop strength on Kiska was going to be around 10,000. Holy shit. And we saw what like uh, 2,500 did, right? Right. Now, aerial reconnaissance showed that things were not going to be good on the island. The Japanese had dug a labyrinth of hardened tunnels and bunkers throughout the high ground. They were going to be walking into a fucking meat grinder. And the Americans were determined not to make the same mistakes that they had on A2. So wow, they waited for reinforcements. Yeah, how fucking America? dare they? Uh, just pump the brakes a bit on that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now, they did wait for reinforcements. They eventually got 35,000 soldiers prepared to storm this beach. Damn. Uh, they're, they're also joined by Canadians on this one. Uh, so you guys own part of this, too. Uh, they're, they're like a Canadian special operations group before they really had one of those. Like, this is before the SAS and everything. Um, uh, but... Once again, trapped within thick layers of fog, uh, they were supported by massive amounts of airstrikes, artillery strikes, and full broadsides from the U.S. Navy. This okay. island got so this rocked is serious. to shit. So this is serious. Yeah. We're being serious now. I would not want to be on this island while this shit was going on. Uh, but either did the Japanese, because they weren't there. Oh, 
Oh. It was empty. It was a completely empty island. Show of force, baby. <laughs> now, that did not stop. Once ashore, soldiers found themselves getting shot at, seemingly at random intervals by snipers or the occasional burst of machine gun rounds. And no matter what they did, they could not pinpoint who was shooting at them. Well, the entire Japanese garrison of Kiska had fucked off three weeks before, and nobody had noticed. Uh, the U.S. and the Canadian forces invaded a completely uninhabited island. On July 29th, 1943... So where were the shots the, coming from? Oh, those were, those were... They were shooting at each other. Oh, yeah, I figured that. <laughs> now, uh, but the thing was, is like, we'll get there, but... It, I don't want to ruin it. So uh, on July 29th, 1943, the Japanese forces on Kiska executed probably one of their most tactical moves of the entire war in, in, in regards of like not killing themselves. Um, they wired Kiska City, otherwise known as their main camp, with demolition charges and destroyed supplies, ammunition, and buildings. During the night, while U.S. battleships that circled Kiska were diverted by radar blips they had mistakenly interpreted as a Japanese evacuation fleet, there were real evacuation fleet of eight warships pulled right into Kiska Harbor, and in less than an hour, the entire force of that was actually only 5,000 men climbed aboard vessels and drifted off silently under the cover of darkness. Fucking bastards. During one attack, the Americans did discover the lone occupants of the island. Explosion! The POW dog was still alive! (laughs) Hell yeah! I I love a good POW rescue. That was actually the point of this. (laughs) operation enduring explosion (laughs) however allied commanders refused to believe that they had been dumb enough to invade an empty island so for eight days soldiers continued their advance pausing only to occasionally shoot at one another on accident or step on booby traps left behind by the Japanese in all 24 American soldiers were killed by friendly fire four by Japanese booby trap and uh, uh, like a couple other like car accident and stuff. Uh, another 121 became sick or wounded. And then another couple dozen were hurt when they slipped or fell. Man, war is dumb. War is dumb as hell. Uh, and then things are made even worse uh, when the USS Abner Reed hit a sea mine, killing 71 sailors. Oof. In the end of what was called Operation Cottage, 92 men were dead and 221 were wounded. But they got explosion back. They did, they did rescue explosion. It was all worth it. Um, I really wish I knew what happened to that dog later on, but I couldn't find anything. I assume he just retired a hero. Got a POW ribbon and everything. Now, we will end with the best part. The Americans knew it was empty, but they refused to accept it. Intelligence pointed out on, to man. the U.S. command by late July, before, like way before the invasion, that the island was almost certainly abandoned and this was just ignored now i got this from the canadian national defense university quote starting in late july however air photo interpreters began to note curious observations routine activities on kiska appeared to be diminishing significantly and almost no movement could be detected within the harbor bomb damaged buildings and craters on kiska's airfield are left completely unrepaired air crews also reported greatly diminished anti-aircraft fire eventually tricking down to nothing on July 28th, radio signals from Kiska ceased entirely. To many intelligence analysis, the mounting evidence suggested that the Japanese had somehow slipped through the na- naval blockade and evacuated Kiska. Uh, it was well, ignored. It sure and we seems that anyway. way, Joe. Yeah, uh, the, the more evidence you need is this big empty island. Um, 
Literally, the only good thing that could come out of this is the refinement of the amphibious landing tactics. It would be used throughout the Pacific Island and, you know, eventually Europe. Uh, Thomas Kincaid, the idiot who ordered the invasion of the empty island, and remember, almost lost, only stayed fired for like one month. Thomas Kincaid is pretty much a naval hero. Uh, This did not slow down his career at all. Good for him, Uh, I guess. Yeah. Really, the only person who who faced any real career repercussions, again, temporarily, was General Brown. Uh, He was fired and sent back to the States, and most people assumed he was going to sit out the war on like a training command. Mm -hmm. But in uh, 1944, when the army apparently fired everyone else in order to get back around to him, he ended up commanding another division in Europe. Ah. Yep. Great. And that is the, the Aleutian Islands campaign. Uh... So, how you, this this is, uh, I think, the first episode, mainline episode that we did. That was your suggestion. Was it everything that you hoped it would be, or, or was, it was it worse? It was dumber. It was dumber, therefore better. <laughs> it was dumber. It included two different kinds of concentration camps. And a dog. <laughs> and a dog. It's everything that, honestly, this, this episode is everything this podcast is. And it, it includes a, a really good donkey we haven't done we haven't had like a serious good individual donkey in a very long time uh this time we got two of them we got general brown and we got admiral kincaid who of course killed hundreds of people through negligence and suffered no consequences whatsoever usa usa that's truly the officer's creed um now liam we do a segment on this show called questions from the legion if you would like to ask us a question from Legion at any point, donate to the show, slide into our DMs on Patreon. I assume they're just called me- messages there. Or Discord or email or our Twitter DMs, whatever. Um, and we will answer on the show. Now, we actually answered this one uh, once a long time ago. Uh, you are not on the show yet. And it is, what is a conspiracy theory that you believe in? Um, oh, I've got a good one. I've got a couple, actually. Shoot, you go first. All right. So, I uh, my first one is that the uh, Michael Jordan did retire secretly. They're both sports. Uh, oh, is that because of the gambling debt? One retired because of the gambling debt, and then was one hundred percent believe that. And the NHL changed the expansion rules of the draft and paid off referees specifically so that the Golden Knights could get to the Stanley Cup final in their first year because the NHL knew that in a non-hockey town, you saw how the Atlanta Thrashers did. You guys remember the Atlanta Thrashers? Uh, Having had hockey expansion in the South and Southwest not go so well, uh, they wanted to ensure that the fan base would be good. It was the same reason the Stars immediately left they left Minnesota and immediately won a title. I mean, that happened to the Avalanche too, but the Avalanche just had a very good roster. And Colorado is has winter. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, uh, checkpoint: the uh, Arizona Coyotes have been incredibly successful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, the Yotes, Yotes year, baby. Uh, man, they're they're the next team to relocate. Uh, I hope Quebec enjoys their second team. Yeah. Um, let's see mine. I think the one I pointed out last time was the, um, Swedish prime minister was almost certainly assassinated by oh, South yeah. Africa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think this time I'm going to say that the coup in Turkey a couple of years ago was almost certainly an inside job. by oh, Erdogan. A false flag. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I don't have a lot of evidence for that. 
uh, other than how stupid it was, which I know in, in our show, we should know that there's probably more to it. But uh, I, I strongly dislike Erdogan and the Turkish military. Oh, do you? Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm not biased in this. Let's see. Um, what's another good one? My opinion on JFK is that he didn't act alone, but it wasn't the CIA or the mob. Or no, it was oh, the mob. Oh, you mean, he you did, mean shooting like, JFK? Yeah. I know I I have as I'm one of those people that I, I don't believe in a lot of conspiracy theories uh, because unfortunately a lot of conspiracy theories are in their nature anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also strongly disagree with most conspiracy theories that people think that the U.S. government is capable of like some overstretching conspiracy simply because like I worked for it mm-hmm. and they're the dumbest fucking people on earth. Yep, like, confirmed. Uh, like the U.S. government couldn't roll out a healthcare website, but also they did 9/11, and the secret never got out. <laughs> like, come on, come on. Um, but yeah, I definitely believe that the, the coup was faked, and uh, that's about it. It's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Mm. Um, I know a lot of people have asked me about the uh, the the Chechen apartment bombings in Russia. Uh, and if it was the FSB, uh, because we've done the Chechen wars. And honestly, that's something I'm going to have to look into whenever we eventually tackle the second Chechen war. So get back to me on that one. <laughs> uh, also, I'm just going to assume I'm never going to be able to go to Russia, uh, which is We're unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, but as always, thank you for joining us. Liam, plug your show. Uh, well, there's your problem. It's a leftist podcast about engineering disasters that in itself is an engineering disaster (laughs) and we have a live show coming up on september 3rd you can buy tickets you can buy live stream tickets at caveat.nyc i'll make sure i put the uh the link in the show notes and i'm i'm actually gonna try to get that i don't i'm not sure what the time difference is i'm gonna be in armenia when that's going on but i will try um uh and everybody else you try as well. Oh, yeah. Buy my books. Buy his uh, books. The, fir- <laughs> the first two books of the Victory of Death series are out. The Prisoner's Dilemma and also A Call to War. Buy them. They're very cheap. Uh, and yes, I get money from them. Otherwise, I, I would not make them that cheap. I'm just trying to make it accessible. Uh, and until next time, don't don't invade Alaska. Also, concentration camps are bad. Concentration camps are bad. Many people are saying this. Ice. Until next time. Later. Bye.